0: Okay, so we're beginning here at the top of Chav Ben and Aleph by the two dots. The Gemara here is about to bring a sugya that has nothing to do with our Gemara, but because, similar to in Brachot, the Bala Memra, person who says over this piece of Agarito, it's the same person that said over the previous statement. So the previous statement related to our Gemara, which was the maximum height of Neroshok Shoch Now we have another statement, which was Amir Kana Dorosh Natan Bar My when the Torah says by Yosef, when the brothers throw him into the pit, Vaboreik Mayim, the pit is empty, there's no water in it, Mashmash Nemar Boreik, if you tell me that the pit is empty, of course, there's no water in it. If it's empty, there's no water. So then why does the Torah take that extra step of saying to us there was no water? Even though there was no water in it, the Diok is, there were other things that were there, including snakes and scorpions. But there are many drashot trying to connect this to the Sugya issues of Chanukah. But the truth is that the only reason it's brought here is because it's said over by Rav Kahana in the name of Reb Natham Yumei Mishmet Rav Now the mark continues. I'm Ner mitzvah lanicha betefach lapetach. The mitzvah of Ner Chanukah again is to place it within a tefach of the doorway. Again, like yesterday, there's a machloka between Rashi and Tosafot. According to Tosafot, tefach within the doorway is whichever doorway is out to the Rishut HaRabim. So, if it's your house that's on the Rishut Rabim then you put it outside the door of your house. If it's your Chatser, your courtyard, that has a door into the Rishut HaRabim, then you place it outside the doorway to the courtyard. On the other hand, Rashi thinks that it's a tefak inside of your door, the door of your house, period. It's not having anything to do with the Rishut Rabim. If your door, of your house opens up into the Chatser, then you put it outside your door in the chaser. If your door of your house opens into the Rishut Rabim, you put it outside the door into the Rishut Rabim. So Rashi is very focused on the house, the door of the house. But Tosafot is focused on the Rishut beam. the access out to the Rishut Rabim. And that's their Machloket. It's the second time we've seen it, and there'll be another time, a third time, where... Rashi and Tosfot seem to disagree about this point. Where do you place it? In the doorway. Right? Of course, you always place it on the right side. Whenever we have an option between right and left, we put it on the right side. He says that you put it on the left side. Put it on the left side. So that the Nehrot will be on the left side. And that the Mezuzah will be on the right side. As we know from the Drasha, Amezuzot Beitecha uvisharecha. the in from the word veitecha, biatcha, the way that you enter, and normally you put your right foot in front of your left foot. So therefore the Mezuzah goes on the right side of the door. So if you're entering in the house, the Mezuzah will be on the right side, and therefore we put the Tanukiah on the left side. I'll just suggest in short here, there's a lot more to say about it, it seems that Chazal Where Mithakein here, the placement of the Hanukkiah, similar to the way it was structured in the Mikdash. If you think about the Mishkan, in the Mishkan you have, as you enter into the Kodesh, obviously the Mizbeach is in front of you, to your right is the Shulchan, to your left is the Menorah, and straight ahead of you is the paroka, the, the doorway into the Kodesh Kodoshim. And the Kohen Gadol does the avod of lighting the menorah. That's what it seems like from the Torah. Pashtut, the pasuk, is that Aaron is the one who lights the menorah. For to many and even a regular Kohen can light it. But everybody agrees that on the first time in Chanukat, I'm that the kohen gadol did it. Now, if I take that setup and come to one's house, then what Chazal structured here was something very similar. If we think of the doorway to one's house, petach habayit, as being equivalent of the petach or the parochet leading into the kodesh kodashim. Inside the house is the Kodesh HaKodeshim, similar to what is in the Mishkan. That means that leading into the house, you're going to have the objects that will be found in the Mishkan. And the Mishkan, when you entered in to the Kodesh HaKodeshim, through the Kodesh, on your left side is the Nora. Here, the Hanukkiah will be on your left side. Your right side is the Shulchan. Over here, you're going to have the Mezuzah. Again, it's not the form to explain it, but the Mezuzah has certain representations of Singh Hashem within the mundane, Singh Hashem in the status quo, you look in their Rambam at the end of Hilchot Mezuzah, where it describes what the purpose of the Mezuzah is, very similar to the purpose of the Shulchan. In addition to that, focus in the Gemara always is on the Balabait, who lights the Kanukia The Balabait is similar in this framework to the Kohen Gadol. And that's why there's emphasis on the Balabait doing the lighting. And because of that, you have... But I have to a sense is a setup that's very similar to the Mishkan. And the implications are obviously also very important and uplifting, which is that the view is that one's house, the internal side of one's house, is like the Kodesh HaKodeshim in the Mikdash. And therefore the Chanukiah is placed outside, just like the Menorah is placed outside. And the Gemara we'll see on the second half of today's Dab says, V'chidah Orah The Menorah wasn't there for light, because Hashem doesn't need that light and similar here, the Hanukkiah is placed in a location where it has no bearing in terms of light. You light the Hanukkiah outside, you don't need the light outside. This is at night. Nobody was outside at that time. It was clear that it was done for Pesume Nisa because nobody put lights out then. You have a Hanukkiah that's below 10 tvachim, It's down very low on the ground. It's not in a location where it's providing light. It's specifically there to indicate the Pesume Nisa, to indicate the presence of Hashem in this house. And that's the same thing in the... Mishkan. The menorah is there to indicate that the presence of Hashem is there by the Aron. So anyway, I think there's a nice parallel between the way that we structure or set up the chanukiah as to that which happened to the Mishkan, which we've already seen, and we're going to see again in today's DAF, the parallels between the chanukiah and the menorah. Right, next sugi, Amarav Yud Amarav Asi. Now, there could be a girse of Amarav. Also, would be interesting because that brings it much further back this statement, which is, Asur Daratzot. One may not count money using the Nerot Hanukkah. That brings us back to the beginning of the sugya about whether one is allowed to hishtamezhi be'orah. Again, over there, we brought Ravun and that's at the beginning of the sugya, and after that, we mentioned Rav. Rav says that it's asur the be'orah. Over here, you have another statement from Rav, if it is quoted in the name of Rav, that would suggest similarly. Ki Amrita they were set over in front of Shmuel. Amarli chineir k'dusha yishba. What type of k'dusha is in the nero tchanuka? So matel of Yosef v'chidam k'dusha yishbo. When it comes to blood, is there k'dusha and blood? But the tanya of a brayta shafach v'chitsa. But me shashafach yichaseh shlo yichaseh u'beregel. That when you cover over the blood, this is kitzuy Dam that has to be done for chayot ofot that are shechted. The blood that comes out, you have to cover the blood. You have to do Kisui Hadam. So that Kisui Hadam, once you cut the neck, you've done the Shekita, you have to cover it over. The Gemara Darshans, the bright is brought here that Bamesh Shafach, Yichaseh. Whatever you use to spill the blood, that's what you should use to cover it. Whether it's your hand, the knife. But you're not allowed to kick the dirt over the blood. Shaloh Yehu, Mitzvot, You shouldn't denigrate the Mitzvot. You shouldn't use your foot, which is not the appropriate way to come or approach a mitzvah. So, so the same thing over here. Don't use the or of the nerot kanuka so that they shouldn't be loved, that you're using a mitzvah for something that's mundane. And that would be considered to be inappropriate in this sense. So it's not about whether there's kedusha in the nerot or not having kedusha in the nerot. It's about the way that you approach mitzvot and the way that you interact with the mitzvot. So now the Gemara is going to continue. It's so one allowed to utilize the decorations in the sukkah during the seven days of Sukkot. We already said you're not allowed to count money by the light of the Nerot Khanako. Yosef, Avram, Master of Avram. And it's a Lashona tmiyah, being unbelievable. I can't believe what you just said. You are trying to bring a proof to something about Sukkah, which has a bright that explicitly says what the din is. And you bring a proof from Chanuka, Nero Chanukah, which is a member of Rabiudah. If he covered over the Sukkah properly, he put on the Sukkah, the Ichra, and then he decorates it. Bikramim ubisadinim, yarim with colored sheets, and decorative sheets, the talabai guzim, and then he hung from there, from the roof he hung nuts, or walnuts, afarsikim, peaches, shkedim, almonds, trimonim, pomegranates, parchilei anavim, and clusters of the grapevine, tarot shell shibolim, and the heads of the grains, yenot, shmanim, b'siltot, hung wine, oil, and flour, asur, the ad yom shelchag. One may not take benefit from them until after the completion of the entire Sukkot, including shmini atzeret. Vim if when you put them up at first, you conditionally put them up, then it goes according to your condition, whatever conditions that you set out. Elam Yosef, because The paradigm for all of these issues is from Dam. That's Midoraita. Right? That's the pasuk in the Torah. From that pasuk we see that one may not be mevazeta mitzvot. So from Dam is the abtipus, the paradigm for all the others. And therefore we learn there and Noei sukah from Dam, that one may not treat any mitzvah in an inappropriate manner. You have to have a certain amount of respect and consideration for the mitzvah. So Rashi explains what is the Tnay that one has to make. The condition one has to say is any ko yom tov rishon. That for the Mashot going into Yom Tov Rishon, he says you do not release them from your possession. You do not allow them to be designated for the mitzvah only. And in that way you prevent them from becoming what's called muksa the mitzvah. To be designated for the mitzvah, where you cannot use them at all. The so notes that the Gemara actually brings two reasons why one may not engage with Noyei Sukkah, and you see that partly from Rashi's discussing here. One is that it's a Bizu'i Mitzvah, for you to use the decorations of the Sukkah. The second thing is that it is also mukzal the Mitzvah. Tozer ask, why do I need both of them? Why well, do I need two reasons why you cannot engage the Noyei Sukkah? it says, well, it makes a difference. Smash he says, D'vshumdi itkatsi the being muktzah, the mitzvah is only relevant on Yom Tov itself. That's not relevant on cholamoid. On cholamoid, there's no din of muksa. Muksa is a din in Yom Tov. Then bizui mitzvah, we wouldn't have said anything if they fell. Bizui mitzvah only applies when you take the decorations off the sukkah and then you use them. But if one of the decorations fell off, you picked it up from the ground and used it, that's not a bizui mitzvah. It's no longer doing the mitzvah. Over there, muksa the mitzvotah, will be irrelevant. Because even when it falls, it still has a din of muksa. On Yom Tov, for sure, you cannot pick it up. Then on Cholom O'ed, you would be able to pick it up. Again, he says that you need both reasons in order to interact with each other. To get you the Yisurim that apply both to Cholom O'ed as well as to items that fall off and are on the ground on Sukkot. The other thing that's very interesting is that the Gemara here says that you may not use the decorations until motzei. Yom Tov Acharon. The reason for that, and here the Gemarin, the Talmud Bible, is applying it even in Chutz not just in Eretz Yisrael, but also in Chutz t'aretz. And that's because coming into Shmini on your way into Shmini if you ate on the seventh day of Sukkot, Hoshan or if you ate anything on that day, you, even up to the last minute, you would have to go into the Sukkah. You're obligated to be in the Sukkah. Shmini in Eretz Yisrael, you're not to to eat in the Sukkah. So let's do it in Eretz Yisrael. Ben Hashmash in the period between the 7th day and Shmini Atzeret, in that Ben Shemeshot you have a Safeik, whether it's the 7th day or a Safeik whether it's 8th day. Technically, if you needed to eat during that period of time, which you can't, but if you ate to that during the time, you'd have to enter into the Sukkah because of that Safeik. That means that the Sukkah is still relevant. Benish Mashot going into the 8th day. Anything that's relevant, Benish Mashot, once it's muksa Benish HaShemashot, it's Muqsa L'kolo Yom Kulo. So therefore, even though the Sukkah is not relevant on Shmini Atzeret despite the fact that fact it's still for the entire Shmini Yatzeret, and one may not take the items from there or do anything with the sukkah until Mozei Shmini In Chutz Laaretz that has even more implications which is that on the 8th day in Chutz Laaretz you sit in the sukkah you sit in the sukkah you don't make a bracha because the 8th day for them is a the sukkah it's the 7th day it's the 8th day that means between the 8th and ninth day then you're in that same position where if you wanted to eat during that period of time you would have to sicken in the sukkah because of the suffake of shmini So that means that going into the ninth day, going to Simchat Torah in Chutz the sukkah is still Moksa at benesh Mashot. Moksa benesh Mashot means the entire ninth day as well, sukkah is off limits. As opposed to Lula Ben Etrog. Lula Ben Etrog, both here and in Chutz we stop taking Lula Ben Etrog on the seventh day. On the eighth day, on Shemini Yatzeret, in Chutz they don't take Lula Ben Etrog, we so that means the mitzvah of Rulav ends on the seventh day. Vanish Mashot, going in from the seventh day into the eighth day, mitzvah of and Etrog is still relevant, because it's the seventh day also. That means that for the eighth day, for Shmini Yatzeret, Rulav and Etrog are Muksa, because there are mukzah coming in. You saw the mitzvata coming in to Shmini Yatzeret. That means in Eretz Yisrael, when Shmini is over, you can use them. But that also means in the once when Shmini is over, you can also use them. Because on the eighth day in the lulav and Etrog are not relevant. The only Muqsa because of the Benesh Machot coming in. We're not going to say, oh, because they're Muqsa because of Benesh Machot. The next Benesh Machot is also affected. It's not like that. So on the ninth day in Chutzlar, it's in Simchat Torah, then Lulav and Etrog would not be muksa. So that's a distinction that Tosavod points out between Lulav and Etrog and Sukkah. As to when the Muqsa ends. Lulav and Etrog ends at the end of the eighth day. Again, in Heretz Yisrael, the known the Sukkah only ends after the ninth day. After Simchat Torah and Chutz and so there is an Nachgamina between the two. So it's interesting, Shiloh, that you have family from Chutz that came in, and they need to eat in the Sukkah and Shmini Atzeret. But you can't eat in the Sukkah and Shmini For you, it's Balthosif. For them, it's part of the Mitzvah that came in from Chutz So what do you do if you're hosting family from Chutz and they need to eat in the Sukkah inside? What you can do is, you can pasol half the Sukkah. You can take away the schach and half the Sukkah. And you sit on the side that is Paso. And they sit on the side, that is kosher, and you can be in the sukkah together. Itmar. Rab amar, ain't madikim miner the ner. You cannot light from candle to candle of the Nerod Hanukkah. Shmul ha'mar madikin. One is allowed to light from candle to candle. Rab amar, ain't mitzitzit, mi begad the begad. Rab says you're not allowed to take tzitzit from clothing to clothing. Shmul ha'mar, mi begad the begad. Rab amar, ain't alochel kerabbi the Eloche is not like Rabbi Shimon in Greira, which is Dover She'inu Mitkavein. In Hilchot Shabbat, if you do Dover She'inu Mitkavein, according to Rabbi Shimon, it's Mutar. Shmuel says the is like Rabbi Shimon, that Dover She'inu Mitkavein is Mutar. What do these have to do with each other? Nothing. Why are they brought here together? Because the next line, Hamar Abaye, Demar. Anything that my Rabbi did, it's Rabbi Bar Nachmani, who is the Rabbi of Abaye. Says Kol Milay Demar Raba Paskin David Kerav anything to do with the Sumer Halacha Kerav that's what we know Halacha Kerav be suray Levar Mihani Tlat with the exception of these three items David Kishmuel that he Paskin like Shmuel which is Manliki Miner the Nair when it's permitted to light from one candle to the other Umatirimi Begad the Begad you can move Sitzit from one Begad to the other Halacha Kerav Shimon Bin Bin Greira and Halacha like Rabbi Shimon in Greira that Davr Sheinu kavain is mutar Shabbat, so that's why these three items are brought together. Not because necessarily they have anything to do with each other, but rather because of the fact that in these three instances we in like Shmuel and not like Rav. The Gorera Adam kise'i Person could drag a bed, a chair, a bench, even though he's dragging it on a dirt floor. As long as he doesn't intend. When he's pulling them to make some sort of marking or ditch, when he pulls them, these are very heavy items, when he drags them along, they're going to compress the dirt that's under him, it's going to cut into the ground. As Rashi says, it's either a tolda of choreish, tolda of So if you intend to do that, and intend to have a marking or a depth or something that you're trying to do there, then that is a malacha. But here, you have no intent for that. You are it the a you drag it, and it's possible to drag it without making that mark. It happens to be that it does make that mark, you're not interested in it. Since you're not interested in it, the dead is considered to be somewhere called Dover She'enu Mitkavein. Dover She'enu Mitkavein is Mutar according to Rabbi Shimon. One of the Rabbanon was sitting before ravada and he said, Taimu derav, mishum bizu mitzvah. The reasoning behind Rav which you're not allowed to light from candle to candle is because of bizui mitzvah. It's a denigration to the mitzvah to use it to light the other nerot. He says, "Don't listen to this one of these rabbans." Time the rab, I'll tell you the reasoning. By rab, it's the Ka mitzvah. Looks like he is weakening the mitzvah because when you light from one candle to the other, the source flame is diminished at the point that you're lighting the other candles. It looks like you're diminishing the mitzvah in some way. My what's the difference between these two opinions? So that's exactly your question. The difference in an naf community in the midst of you light from candle to candle. Mm-hmm. One who says it's bizu mitzvah to light from candle to candle is not a problem, because you're moving from a candle that is a mitzvah to another candle that is a mitzvah. So you're only being a soup in items that deal with the mitzvah. Each candle on the Chanukiah is part of the mitzvah. So if you take one candle that's a mitzvah and light another candle that's a mitzvah, that's not problematic. It'd only be if you passed it through a third object, that would be problematic, because then you're using a double hole to take the fire from the Dvar Mitzvah and put it onto the next candle. So over there the problem would be if you use something in the middle. But if you do it directly, no problem. Shuma hushe mitzvah asur. It looks like you're weakening the mitzvah, that it's if you're taking away some of the light. That is true when even you go from candle to candle. It still looks like that. That's enough gamina between these two reasons. Extinguished? Right. So I think that might be included in the Machish Mitzvah. But, but nobody says about kiboy, but they're still afraid of it being weakened somehow. Meti Selah <laughs> Or Maishu Depends, the Gros says that the Selah should not be in there. Ein Shoklim Zahav. One may not weigh against it gold coins. But filu Even to use those coins for redeeming Maishu you have dinarim, you have coins of Mysore sheni, and then you want to see that you have the appropriate amount of coins, whether that was to redeem the coins that you have on these other coins, or whether it's for other Mysore sheni. you want to make sure that you have the right amount. So you have these coins on one side of the scale, and you're putting on Chulin coins on the other side. Your intent with the Chulin coins on the other side is to make them into Kedushat Maeser sheni. Nevertheless, the Mishnah says you may not do that. You may not put these Chulin coins against the Maeser sheni coins. Because, it seems like it's a problem of mitzvah. If you say that Rab and Shmuel argue about near the near, ava bikinsa, we're talking that when you use an intermediary object, asar then Shmuel also agrees that it's a sur in that case. Then we don't have any question over here because even Shmuel agrees that when you're using an object of chulin, then that is problematic. If you say that Shmuel says it's mutar, even in the case where you have a third object in the middle, this Mishnah will be a problem for Shmuel. So here you see when you engage in Chulin, it is problematic, even though your intent is to eventually use it for a mitzvah. So just like by the Maser Sheni, when you have mitzvah on one side, Chulin on the other side, and the Tosefta tells us that you may not do this, even though you intend to make the chulin coins into a mitzvah, so two by narrow tchanukah. Even if though you put it onto a third object, which you intend to light the other candle with, it should be problematic, because you're passing through chulin. So that'd be a problem for Shemal's opinions. Zera, zeira, shemalah, mishkilotav. Problem is that maybe you will not get it exact, become the chulin. And then they ends up making them into chulin. The way Rashi explains it, is that he'll be weighing these coins here, and then you'll see a good coin. In the coins in their day, the inherent value of the coin was the value of the coin. So the weight of silver, the weight of gold, was what gave the coin the value. Over time, when you used coins they wore down they got chipped they got knocked down so people generally accepted them even though they were missing up to a certain point they would accept the coins even though they were not exact weight but if you got a coin that was perfect versus a coin that's slightly chipped if you had to opt for which one you'd use for my sashimi you'd most likely use the chipped coin for my sushini and put in your pocket the coin that is of good shape because that's something you need for interacting outside so therefore he says what are you going to do you're going to start putting the coins on the scale and you're going to see a really nice coin so you're going to say, instead of leaving it there and using it for maizoshini, you're going to say, no, no, I'm going to keep that one for myself to use later on. I mean, it's permissible. These coins are chulin, but what you're ending up happening is, you're going to have this coin be used against the maizoshini on the scale, but then not ever use it in the end for maizoshini. You're going to end up pocketing the coin, keeping it as chulin. And that would be a bizu' mitzvah, because there you never end up using it for a mitzvah in the end. So that's the chashash here. Not that you're not allowed to have something chulin against mitzvah if you intend to use it for a mitzvah. It's just that we're afraid that you may never end up using it for a mitzvah because of the possibility that you'll take one of those coins. So now the machlokit here is what does Rav hold? If Rav holds that the problem here is mishum b'zui mitzvah, that means that if Rav thinks the problem is busy Mitzvah, then the only problem is to light through a third object. To light than air is Mutar. That means if Shmuel argues on him in that case, that means that Shmuel's arguing even when it goes through a third object, that it's Mutar. That's one way to read it. If Rav says that the problem here is akushay mitzvah, then Rav is saying that it's even problematic than D'ner. So over there Shmuel could be just arguing about Me near the D'ner. But he would agree with Rav when he went through a third object, that it would be problematic. Depending on what you think Rav thinks the problem is, whether it's Bizu Mitzvah or Achushe'i Mitzvah, will also determine where you think Shmuel's position of being Matir is. If Rav thinks that Miner the nair is Mutar, then obviously Shmuel's not arguing on him there. He's arguing on him when he do it through a kinsa, when you do it through a third object. Whereas if Rav thinks that Miner the nair is a Sur, that's where Shmuel could be arguing. That's what the Gemara over here is entertaining. Once we have that Tosefta from Maizu Sheni, depending on what Shmuel holds, which depends on what Rav holds, then we have to answer why this Tosefta is not problematic. So, So that you place the Minora, you set it up, you light it outside of the Parochet. Does God need the light of the Minora? That all the 40 years that B'nai Zayel the Midbar, they use the light of Hashem to go. The provided light for them, the fire that was in front, they didn't need anything, Hashem provided them light. So what, he needs a menorah inside of the Mikdash? That doesn't make any sense. It's a testimony to Kam that Shara that the Shekhinah is present in B'nei Yisrael. What is that testimony? It's the Western candle, which we'll explain in a second. You put the same amount of oil in it, and in the end you used a light from it, and with that you ended. It remained lit for the duration of the entire twenty-four hours, which was the edut that Hashem was present, at the Nera Maravilla, what we call now the Ner Tamid, and the Shul Zecher to this, but that it was always lit, and that was an indication of Hashem's presence. Goes so back to what I said before, that the menorah in a sense, is this idea of persumainisa, that Hashem's present is always here, Hashem's always involved. And the same is true by the Chanukiah. The lighting of the Chanukiah is a Pesumenisa, that Hashem's is present, that Hashem is involved in the world, and Hashem intervenes in the world. And that's why we light it outside, and the Shekhinah is present. Just like in the Mishkan, the Shekhinah is present, so too, for one's house, the Shekhinah is present in the Mikdash Ma'at, in one's house. The Tosafot does ask over here, what do you mean 40 years? He says, olam kol olam, kulod, Why is it just the 40 years? Every day we go by the light of Hashem. Is it referring to the Kohanim? To the Kohanim need the light inside of it? Because didn't the Anunnakh Avot provide them light in the midbar, so he wouldn't have needed that light. So then he explains it according to our but then he says that if you look in the Midrashei Tanaim, it's pretty clear that it's speaking about the Shekhinah. Those who doesn't have any answer why it's referencing the 40 years and not always. I and mean, it's true in the Mikdash as well. It's not just true in the Mishkan. It could have been that the answer that this was just focusing on the Mishkan. The Mishkan, it was relevant for those 40 years that they were in the Midbar, so that's the focus. It's not just to say that it's limited to 40 years but also it does raise that issue the second thing is what exactly happened in the Mikdash there are two things we need to know there's a machloket and menachot how the menorah stood did the Minorah stand east-west or did the menorah stand north-south if the Minorah went north-south the shkina, the Kodesh HaKodeshim is found in the west if the Minorah is north-south that means it's perpendicular to the Kodesh HaKodeshim over there everybody agrees that Nerma ravi was the middle Ner. when it's running north-south that means that all the nerot pointed towards the middle nair, and the middle nair, the wick pointed in towards the kodesh Shim, and that was classified as the nair hamaravi. If it goes east-west, which one is considered to be the nair maravi? So naturally, you would say the nair is the most western lamp on the menorah. That would be the nair but that's not the way the Gemara views it. The Gemara views it that the second one from the east is called the nair hamaravi. Obviously, the most eastern one cannot be the nair maravi because that's the eastern one on the menorah. The one next to it is classified as the Ner maravi. As Rashi points out here, as Gemara in the Menachot. The second one in is classified as the Nerem Why? Because in relationship to the first one, it's the Ner HaRavi. Rashi over here gives a reason why he thinks that's true, because Ain Mavirin al mitzvot. You don't pass by a mitzvah. The second lamp on the Menorah is Ner maravi, relative to the Nerem Mizrahi, to the Eastern light. And therefore, if you have a choice to do a mitzvah, that qualifies as the Ner Maravi, and therefore that's the first opportunity, the first one you're going to bump into, you're going to make that into the Ner Maravi. Even though technically all six of them to the west of the Ner Mizrahi are called Ner Maravi, nevertheless the first one that you come into contact with, that is what they made into the Ner Maravi. That's the first thing we need to know. The second thing we need to know is that the Torah talks about Atavata road fixing up the road, both by the Avodah Bashachar, and the avodah arba'im in the afternoon. The question is, what was involved in each of these cases? And that is a makhlokiteer between Rashi and the Rambam. Rashi believes that the menorah was only lit, ben arba'im in the afternoon. It was lit. The avodah that was done on the menorah in the morning was called hatavat Neirot. It was cleaning out the anerot and resetting them for the afternoon. But they were not lit in the morning. The Rambam, on the other hand, believes that they lit the menorah both in the morning and the afternoon. If they lit it primarily in the afternoon, but if it extinguished overnight, it wasn't ready, they relit it in the morning. They did a Tabata road, and then they relit it to ensure that it was lit all the time. Not just at night, but also during the day. It's a makokus in the word tamid. What does it mean to be tamid? Tamid has two meanings. Tamid can mean always. That's the way the Rambam's doing it. That it's near tamid means that it's always lit. But tamid can also be consistently. That's the way the word tamid is used, that you do something on a consistent basis. The tamid shal shachar, it's not brought all the time, it's just brought on a consistent basis every day. So Rashi interprets tamid here to mean consistent. So that means every day you lit the norah, not that the norah was always lit. The ramam learns tamid over here to mean consistent, always, meaning that it was always lit, not just every day. But that also makes a difference here, and now you understand what happened in the Mikdash. When was the Nirmar and what they did with the Nirmar Ravit? So this is what Rashi explains. L'fi, shashar Yamitib he used to clean out all the other six in the morning. But the Neramaravi you only cleaned out at night. You take the old wick in your hand, or you place it down in a clay. until you put in a new oil and wick in the Nermaravi, Umadlika. Then you light it from the old wick, and from that one you light the others. Rashi says that the hatavat anerot was done in Shacharit, you cleaned out all the other six in Shacharit, made them ready. Came to Arbaim, the nir tamid was still there, was still burning. So what do you do? You pull out the wick with the flame on it, or the lamp with the flame on it, depending if you thought the lamp was detachable or not. Take that out, you clean out the nir maravi, you do whatever you need to do. And then you put a new wick into it, and you take that wick, the old wick that has the flame on it, and now you light the new wick of the nirmar From that nirmar then you spread out the fire from that. You light from that nirmar the other wrote. And then, according to Rashi, in the quote in the Gemara, when it says, Umimena haya madliku bah From it he lit, and bah misayim, is that he did the hatavata wrote. That was it. He ended the last tatavata nero. The last cleaning of the nero was done for the Ner Maravi. We mena yamadlik, because once you lit it again, the new Ner Maravi, you lit from that one. That's the way Rashi interprets it. He does mention that the Mishnah in Yomah seems to indicate that they did everything at Shacharit. Even the Ner Maravi was cleaned out at Shacharit. That he says was after the death of Shimonat Sadiq, certain things stopped happening in the Mikdash. One of the ones was that the Ner Maravi did not light all the time. When Shimonat Sadiq was alive, the Ner Tamid stayed on until the afternoon. Once he died, it even, even the ner, to me the Nehra extinguished. And therefore, according to Rashi, you would have to clean out all the Nehraot and relight just the Nehra Maravi. You have to relight the Nehra Maravi be, until Arbaim, and from that you would then light the others at the afternoon time. That's so how Rashi explains it. Tosafo takes issue with that. You don't take the wick out and light from that wick, the old wick. If you can take the old wick out and light the Nehra Maravi. Use the old wick and light all the others. What's the whole point of lighting taking the old wick, lighting the new Nehra Maravi, and then lighting from that? It makes no sense. So, Tosavot says that that's not what the statement here means. But he says, Clean out. In the afternoon, he cleaned out and it went out. It extinguished the ner Maravi. Before he cleaned out the Neramaravi, Maravi, he lit the other candles that were already ready from that. Then, after he had done that, he cleans out the ner Maravi and extinguishes it. And then he relights the Neramaravi from the others that are now already lit. So that's the way Tosafot reads it, and therefore when he says, Misayim, well according to Tosafot, it doesn't mean that that was the last one to be cleaned out, but whether means that, that was the last one to be lit. Because the Neramaravi was not, like according to Rashi, the Neramaravi was the first to be lit. And then from it, you lit the others. Tosafot says, no, that you lit all the others from it, then you cleaned out the Neramaravi so it extinguished, and then you relit the Neramaravi from it. So it's the last one to be lit. It's a machlok Rashi and Tosafot. What ubahayam esayayim means, according to Rashi, bahayam means, it was the last one to be cleaned out. According to Tosafot, it's the last one to be lit. Beyond that, you have a machlok between the Rambam and Rashi, which is whether the candles were also lit in the morning or not. Rashi says no, the Rambam says yes. Bahahacha, came into Kaviyah Wait a minute. Over here, the menorah is a fixed menorah. You can't light from one lamp to the other lamp if they're fixed in place. If that's the case, the only way you can move the fire from one to the other is to use a third object. So take the, something, light it from the candle, the lamp, and then move it over to the next lamp. Kasha, bend on the this is a question according to everyone. If you think the problem is bizuyei mitzvah, then certainly moving it through a third object is a mitzvah. According to one who says a mitzvah, can't light even with a kinsah. So no matter what, you have a problem here. Because according to both opinions, you cannot use a third object according to rav to light it. And therefore now you have a question. So now the Gemara says, so what are you going to do? Tar gemar betilot arukot talking about long wicks. So yeah, you're right, the lamps can't touch each other, but you can have very long wicks in the menorah. And those very long wicks, you could drag the wick over and touch the other wick, and that would cause it to light. So Mariah says, the According to Mariah says, mitzvah, You're not even allowed to light me near the nair. That would be problematic. In the Mikdash, we're lighting me near the near. It's a problem. it says, have, Allah. What's the din? So again, this is where Tosaf makes his comment. What do you mean, what's the din? The Allah is like shmo. What do you mean, what's the din? Tosafot says, I don't understand what's going on in the Gemara. But a machloket and Shmuel, we pass them like Shmuel. That means than iner. says one possibility is that the Gemara is not conclusive yet. They don't take Rav's statement as conclusive that the Aloha is like Shmuel, and in Okanami we're discussing it within the position of Rav. The other possibility is that Tosafot so says that we're discussing this within the position of Shmuel. If the Aloha is like Shmuel, is it mutar to use this third object or not? And that will be determined how we answer this question or how this bright dog can be explained. So either again, we are still entertaining the possibility that the law is like Rav, or, like the Rivam suggests over here, this is even in the Sheet of Shmuel, we want to know, the Shmuel think that there's a problem of lighting their kinsa. Is there a problem of lighting through a third object? And he only allows you to light me near the Nair, or does he even allow you to go through a third object? So, if a loka is the mitzvah, then you can do it in the near the Nair. If a loka is the mitzvah, then you may not light from candle to candle. In the Midrash, it's clear that a loka is the mitzvah. Loka is the mitzvah in the Midrash to light the menorah. And we already have, from there, an indication that you're allowed to light me near the Nair. Therefore, if by Chanukah, the Chanukiah is a mitzvah of then it should be Dom of the Mikdash. It should be exactly like the Migdash, Just like the Migdash of Adoka is a mitzvah and you're allowed to light for me near the nair. so too over here. You'll be allowed to light me near the nair by Nerot Chanukah. On the other hand, if you think Nerot Chanukah are totally different than Mikdash. Mikdash, the mitzvah is Adoka. By Nerot Chanukah, it's the placement of the Chanukiah that makes the mitzvah. If that's the case, it's different than what happened in the Mikdash. And we can't learn from the Mikdash that just because there was Madlik M'neir in the Nair in the Mikdash would mean that you're also allowed to do that by the Chanukiah. Rashi says the distinction being imad lako the Mitzvah then when you take the flame from one to the next you're doing the Mitzvah. You're actually activating the Mitzvah at that time. Imanocho Adlachos the Mitzvah if the placement of the chanukiya is what does the Mitzvah then when you're lighting it you're really not accomplishing a full Mitzvah. I mean, of course you have to light the, the Chanukiah in order to do the Mitzvah. But that's not the accomplishment of the mitzvah. The accomplishment of the mitzvah is only when you move the Chanukya to the proper placement. But then, according to that, you can't go miner the ner. That's the way Rashi describes it. Tosoba brings a similar type of an explanation over here. So the it says the Ibalu, We already had this question. Allah mitzvah and mitzvah. So if we're able to determine what the loch is there, that will also tell us what the loch is about. Madukimi near the ner. tashma. The amar ner near chanukia The Person's holding on to an erchanukia and standing He did nothing over there it looks like an mitzvah because the fact that it's in your hand is problematic you didn't place it in the location that it needs to be says, no. maybe a but the problem is that you're holding the candle it looks like you're holding the candle for your own benefit there's no indication here that this is a candle of Chanukah how do I know this is a candle of Hanukkah when you're standing? You would need the light anyway. You'd walk around with the candle anyway. If you're ever holding a candle in your hand, there's nothing that indicates to us that that's near Hanukkah. You have to do something that makes it clear that's near Hanukkah. That's part of why, again, I said before, you put it outside the door. You put it down low. Places where there's no necessity for light. That's a clear indication that those are near Hanukkah. Your case. Right. If he lights it inside, carries it out. He didn't do anything if you say that alokha is the mitzvah you need to do the alokha in the proper location where it is already doing the mitzvah that's why when you carry it out you've done nothing if is the mitzvah if you light it inside, take it out and put it down it should be just fine why is the saying it's problematic? again there there's no clear indication that you lit it for Neirot Chanukah you lit it inside, the person thinks that you lit it for your own purposes. Now you carry it outside and put it down? What does it have to do with Hanukkah? You have to make something clear that it's for Hanukkah and not for your own utilization. So Tashma, so here we come to the definitive proofs, which is, Rabbi uh, bin Levi, Ashashit, Shaitalo Kulo. You have a glass, as Rashi says, Lanterna, glass lantern, Yom Kulo. All through the Shabbat, this lantern is burning. For Motzei Shabbat, you can come. Mechaber, you blow it out. Umadlikah l'shem Nerot Chanuka, blow it out and then just light it again, and that can be for Chanukah. Lech, I amar bishlamad l'akol se mitzvah shapir. If l'akol se mitzvah, then it makes sense. I amar hanochol se mitzvah. If you say placement of mitzvah, hi mechaber umadlikah wouldn't be sufficient to extinguish it and then relight it. Mechaber umagbia umenicha mi mibaylei. You would have to extinguish it. Lift it up, place it down, and then light it in order to be Chanukah. Because otherwise, it's sitting there through a whole Shabbat. It looks like it's Nerot Shabbat. In order to change its designation to Nerot Chanukah, you'd have to lift it up, place it down, specifically for the intent of lighting it for Nerot Chanukah. The fact that it's missing that stage is an indication that hadlakos a Mitzvah. And the next one is, ba'od T'kemevar varchinan What's the bracha we make on lighting Nerot Chanukah? Asher t'dishonu, bemitzvotav. Mitzvah, nu, ner, shel, chanukah. We focus on the hadlokah. If you're making the bracha on the adloka, it sounds like the is the mitzvah. So here you see the bracha, and here is the nusacha bracha for hadlokah, nero, chanukah. Shmamina, hadlokah, osem mitzvah, shmamina. It's clear from here that hadlokah is osem mitzvah. Answering the question of hadlokah, and also answers the question of whether me or the ner. And that's what Tosavo points out over here. If we pass an hadlokah, osem mitzvah, Based on the Gemara's conclusion, that means that you're also allowed to be Miner the nair. Have you ever seen anybody like the nair by nerot chanukah? Tosafor brings that right away. Vim mutar ladlik minera the Mikom okom. Kei vin shenagu machmir ain lishanot at minag. Says people are machmir anyway. Despite the fact that it's mutar, people have a minag not to do this. And therefore, don't be shown at the minag. But you know, technically, you can like the Ner by nerot chanukah. Which is very interesting. I will raise one uh, issue with that, which is, what's the meaner the near here? Because it could be, and this is important to know, which is that if you're talking about multiple people lighting one candle, near Yishu doing the mitzvah, so that could be you're lighting from candle to candle. When you're talking about mahadrin or mahadrin in a mahadrin, it's clear that you accomplish the mitzvah by lighting the first candle. When you subsequently light the additional candles, maybe it doesn't apply to Mahajim, Mahajim, Minamahajim. Because once you've lit the first candle, you've accomplished Nehri Yishu you've accomplished the mitzvah. Everything you do after that is a Zeh K'ili Van Ve'yu is Hidur Mitzvah. So if that's the case, then lighting from the first candle to the other candles may not be the same as lighting from one candle to another when it's near Yishu beto in both places. There are those, and it's a really a machloket in the Achronim. Chaim speaks about this: about how does heder mitzvah relate to the original mitzvah? Is does heder mitzvah still have aspects of the original mitzvah inside of it, or is the heder mitzvah exactly that? It's heder mitzvah, but it does not have aspects of the mitzvah. It's not part and parcel of the mitzvah. How tied into the original mitzvah is it? Do we look at it as a holistic mitzvah? So when you do mahadim, mahadim, and then that's one mitzvah. That's it. Or do we say, no, the mitzvah is accomplished, and everything else is either mitzvah, it's a separate entity. As has, one of them is this idea of, near the near. if you think it's not one big mitzvah, one holistic mitzvah, then it may be problematic to light from the first to the others. On the other hand, if you think it's one mitzvah, there may be good light from one to the others. Has the in terms of bracha? If you forgot to make the bracha, you lit the first candle. Can you make the bracha on the residual candles that you're going to light? Is that part of the mitzvah or not? Does that only hit the mitzvah, you can't make a bracha? The question comes up here, comes up in Lulav and other places about how integral is either mitzvah to the mitzvah itself and we it will have not the Our practice is interesting. We light the first candle and then while we're lighting the subsequent candles we sing a talalu. So we do a little bit of both. We don't speak in general. We only speak on the topic of Nero HaNukah but we do speak. We do start saying a Neirot once we've lit the first candle. So there is some indication that we're giving a special status to the first candle, because the bracha is chalon that. We don't say neretalalo until after we've lit that candle. Obviously, it only makes sense to do it after you've lit. Imagine it, it a for the remaining candles. So the fact is that we do it after the first candle, before the other candles. It's not a hefsake because it's minyona of the lighting of the candles. So technically there it's not a hefsake. Generally, we try to avoid doing things like this. We don't try not to interrupt between the bracha and the masa and mitzvah. Assuming that, it's interesting that we treat the latter candles different than the first candle and saying a neretalalo. Now, I'm, I'm gonna read the remaining Gemara, and then we'll come back and discuss it a little bit more tomorrow, because it's a big topic. Just finish up the two dots, and then I'll try to bring you more tomorrow about this, which is, If we conclude that a then if it's lit by someone who does not have the status of a or doesn't have the capacity to do mitzvot, then a Cheresh, someone again who is both unable to speak, unable to hear, in their day, who was classified as a Shoteh, the status today may be very different. Shuteh, someone who's not of sound mind, in a katan, someone who's a minor, he can't accomplish the mitzvah because of the mitzvah. On the other hand, isha, on the other hand, a woman may definitely light, women are, because they're also included in the miracle. It's usually, Tosafot says this in other places, is usually utilized in issues mid the not in issues me even though there are some Rishonim applied even to things the only Mitzvot is it's brought up in three Mitzvot Rabbanan. the three Mitzvot rabanan that also have Pirsumei Nisa attached to them, that is, Kriyat HaMidila, Arba Kosot, on the night of Pesach, and here, by Nero Hanukkah, the Chavim saying, Avhein Ayu Anis, it's Machok between the Rashvam and Tosafot. In Psalm, what that means. Rashi over here brings both interpretations. Does that mean that they were also in danger? They were in the same danger as the man, and therefore the release from that danger by Hashem applied equally to them? Or does does mean that they were primary figures in the Diula by Purim? Esther is a central figure. Over here Rashi quotes with regards to the Yivanim, that Ayatei Shah Nasenes, daughter of Yochanan Tehudit, daughter of Yochanan, that was one who killed the general of the Greco-Syrian army, who, which turned the tide of the battle. So there, there's a woman involved. And Mitzrayim, we know, Nashim Sid that we left Mitzrayim. So that's a question, when Avayinob is that, that they were in equal danger, or does that mean that they were primary figures in the Ge'ulah? Then also, Shavayinob so that's a question here. What is Afein Ayub Ace? brings both interpretations here. But again, in Pesachim, it's the Rashi Bam and Tosavot argue about what the meaning of Afein Ayub ace is. And then, again, what does that mean for the status of women? Are women then on equal footing with men with regards to these mitzvot? And that means that they could be Motsi, a man. That means that a woman could light on behalf of her husband. Husband could light on behalf of his wife. These questions arise within Neirot Chanukah and within Kuyat Megillah.